This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now in the United States this week, they celebrated July 4th, Independence Day. It's America's National Day. And tragically, on this occasion, the nation had to face up to another mass shooting. In Highland Park, which is adjacent to Chicago, seven people died when a 22-year-old man took an assault rifle and opened fire. Many injured, of course. A terrible moment on such a day. We're joined now from Washington by Nat Stanich, now as associate editor of The Hill. And he's also White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, just to begin with a mention of this routine almost another mass shooting. Is it fair to believe that the nation, a large part of the nation, looks helplessly on at these events and another part of the nation supports the rights of 22-year-olds to have an assault rifle, which was legally bought, as I understand it? Mm. It's certainly true that there's a massive division over this issue, and there has been for a long time, Eamon. Obviously, the events in Highland Park were were tragic, and they were horrifying. Um, By virtue of their nature, a shooting at a July the 4th parade, uh, the scene was captured on on cell phone video and other video, uh, and I mean, those images were particularly uh, just... uh, terrifying and and distressing for those involved. Um, As far as uh, I I get your question is is getting at the question of gun control. Um, As you know, there was a very modest gun control uh, package passed quite recently in the wake of massacres, uh, particularly in uh, Uvalde, Texas. Um, and also Buffalo, New York. But that was a very uh, modest uh, package, as I say. The appetite for sweeping gun reform is certainly not strong in Congress itself. Now, opinion polls are interesting on this topic. There is actually fairly strong support for some restrictions like truly universal background checks, for example, but the political will to enact anything but the most incremental change still doesn't really appear to be there. The Supreme Court got involved in this matter as well. 
Mm-hmm. It has indeed. Uh, Recently, uh, yeah, yes. and not in a way that would be very encouraging to most people. Certainly not to most people um, in Ireland or, or most people of a more liberal disposition here. Yes. The Supreme Court, um, in effect, struck down a restriction that New York State had enacted. That's right. To make a long story short, New York State said that if you wanted to uh, have a license to carry a concealed firearm, that you needed to show specific reason. You couldn't just simply say, for my own protection. You needed to show, for example, uh, a threat to your life. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't have that. That interferes excessively with the Second Amendment and is therefore uh, unconstitutional, which was, of course, a setback for gun reform um, advocates. Yes, and of course we know, or most people will know, about their ruling on Roe v. Wade and abortion, which is has really had a catastrophic effect on many, many people right across the United States of America. What people may not be familiar with is another ruling which affects climate change, Mm. which they handed down this week, and it's to do with the Environmental Protection Agency in the United States. Can you tell us about that, Niall? Yes, the Environmental Protection Agency does what it says on the tin, as they say. It's the regulatory body to try to uh, curb excessive environmental abuses or excessive uh, carbon emissions, things of that nature. Uh, The Supreme Court, in a case brought by the state of West Virginia, ruled that the EPA basically does not have power to regulate carbon emissions from power plants and further uh, found that that power truly or constitutionally resides with the Congress. Now, for environmental advocates, that's a disastrous ruling. Yes. You're, you're essentially saying the, the main body that uh, controls or aims to control such things is rendered impotent. And the responsibility for such actions is moved to Congress. And of course, in Congress, it would be expected that Republicans in particular, along with perhaps some Democrats from more fossil fuel producing states, would uh, strike down any severe regulations or, or not enact any severe regulations. And at a time when I think climate change is becoming Uh, an even more urgent and uh, tangible issue than it was in the past. That was obviously a big defeat for the environmental movement. Now, it it does strike me and many, I think, outside of the United States, that this particular Supreme Court, packed, if you like, by Donald Trump with three of his picks, of the nine judges, three picks, which entirely took the balance away from the court, is really at the edges of its credibility in a, in a democratic functioning democracy where power should really properly rest with people who are elected. This Supreme Court appears to be really going for it in a way that is desperately troubling from our perspective. There's no question that they're really going for it. This is the most transformative Supreme Court I can remember in in my uh, in, in my memory, or certainly in my almost 20 years here in the United States. Of course, there have been in the relatively recent past some rulings that have been, uh, you know, dramatic or emotional from a liberal perspective, the, yes. the legalization of same-sex marriage being, being one example. But those rulings tended to come sporadically. Here, as you have just outlined, 
mind. You have the Supreme Court uh, striking down or rescinding the constitutional right to abortion, uh, loosening gun restrictions in a, yes. in a serious way, and loosening environmental restrictions in a serious way. Those rulings all coming uh, approximately in the space of a couple of weeks of each other. Uh, and of course, there are more contentious issues on the court's slate when it resumes its next term, including matters uh, pertaining to elect the, the conduct of elections, which obviously yes. is a topic you and I have spoken about a great deal before. And a very serious topic. There's also, and one of the more conservative judges referred to it, a possibility that gay marriage might be ruled out by the Supreme Court, even contraception <laughs> and same-sex relationships. I mean, this is way out there, isn't it? Yeah, it was Clarence Thomas who made that argument in the abortion ruling. And to make a a long story short, because I I think it is an important point, the right to abortion, now struck down, was founded in the notion that the United States Constitution provides a right to privacy. That right had first sort of formally been enshrined in an earlier case in the 1960s, which found that um, married couples had a right to contraception. Clarence Thomas's argument at its root is there is no such right to privacy because it's not explicitly outlined in the Constitution. And therefore, having rescinded the right to abortion, the court should look, and I'm going from memory here, but I think he used the phrase, correct the error in the three other cases that you mentioned, which were contraception, um, same-sex sexual relations, and same-sex marriage. Uh, So, I mean, that gives you some indication of the kind of... uh, conservative radicalism we're seeing, I think. Right. Now, to go back to the politics, the pure politics, Joe Biden and, of course, all of the parties to it will be looking at the midterm elections in November. And already it appears that there are one or two Democrats making moves to perhaps contest the election if Joe Biden, who's going to be 80 in his next birthday, I think. Yes, that's right. In the event that Biden either isn't up to it physically and mentally or doesn't have the political credibility anymore, there are others making moves. Uh, Governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is one, Mm -hmm. and the governor of Illinois as well, Mm -hmm. a man I'd never heard of, actually, Pritzker. Yeah. He was in New Hampshire, which is the second state to vote in a primary process, he's getting his, he's laying his marker down pretty early. He is. He's dipping his toe in the water fairly yeah. early with the, with that trip for sure. I mean, the, these kind of moves by politicians are always watched very closely here, Eamon, because obviously they're perceived as telegraphing intentions. Of those two men, Gavin Newsom, I think, would be the more uh, serious candidate, governor of California, relatively youthful, handsome guy, fairly, you know, fairly charismatic. He has political uh, weaknesses as well. But he did a very interesting thing over July the 4th, which is he ran ads in Florida, the other side of the country, attacking Ron DeSantis, who we have mentioned before. Ron DeSantis is the extremely conservative governor of Florida and probably the leading threat to our old friend Mr. Trump for the Republican nomination. So for Newsom to take out TV ads 
on the other side of the country attacking DeSantis was pretty clearly a move by Newsom to put his name in the frame for 2024. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, you mentioned going to New Hampshire. There have been some other people who have made public comments that have been uh, less than wholehearted in offering support for Biden running again in 2024. So you put all that together and it shows the kind of uh, talk and the early moves that are already being made. Yes, and one of the people that was asked, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, Mm. the brilliant young congresswoman from New York, brilliant and leftish, Mm. or not just leftish, left. She was asked if she would be prepared to endorse Joe Biden for re-election now, and she said, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And in a piece of yours, actually, which I read in The Hill, she is now old enough at the age of 32, or will be, to be eligible to run for president. I didn't realize there was an age limit. There there is, and this isn't, I think, something widely known outside the United States. You have to be 35 uh, by the, I'm not even sure if it's the date of election or inauguration, but in any event, AOC just about makes it under the wire. She turns 35 in October of 2024. Wow. Um, So she will be, (laughs) uh, she makes it with about a month or three months of its inauguration to spare. She's known as AOC. She's Mm. very famous in American politics, not perhaps as well known here. I described her before as brilliant. She is very bright, isn't she? And Mm -hmm. she has a real presence. But Mm -hmm. given where she is on this political spectrum, you wouldn't fancy her chances in the national election. I think that's very well put in both respects. She's one of the most charismatic politicians in America, in my view. She rose from obscurity to national stardom in extraordinarily quick time. She was a bartender. She took on an Irish-American Democrat in a primary, a man by the name of Joe Crowley, who thought that he was going to sort of um, wipe aside this young uh, Latina woman yes. who, who ended up hammering him in the primary, and it's a safe Democratic seat, so she won the general election. She went from being a bartender to being on the cover of Time magazine in, I think, about a year. And uh, for for all of the reasons that we've just talked about, uh, she's also very good on, on social media. <laughs> Sorry, the, I'm just thinking yeah. of a scenario where Joe Biden goes from being president <laughs> to being a bartender. <laughs> Sorry, that idle thought just crept into my mind. It might be it might be on the opposite trajectory. Yeah. Who, who, who knows? Sorry. But but I mean, to your point about AOC's actual political ideology, she is by her own uh, description a democratic socialist. Yeah. Um, it is difficult to see her winning, you know, Ohio or Wisconsin if she run were to be the Democratic nominee in a in a presidential election. However much she is inspiring, which she is to young people in particular, and obviously to lefties, um, it's tough to see her winning in, in those states or Florida, other states that are very important in presidential elections. Now, our old friend, Senator Bernie Sanders, mm. has emphasized in a memo that he sent to somebody in April mm. that he had not ruled out another run for president, but would only be interested if Biden decided not to go forward. We may be talking here at odds with reality, but the Democrats do need to find a candidate for 2024, don't they? And they're not doing really well at that, at that particular task. 
No, they're not. I mean, obviously, it would be difficult to beat Biden if he seeks a second term. His approval ratings are very bad. There is the worry about a lack of vigor and a lack of fire if he were to run again. So then you go to the next person. Well, by default, you might think, well, his vice president then. But Kamala Harris has not really shone as vice president and has underwhelmed in the past uh, before taking that office, including in her own presidential run in, in uh, 2020, which didn't really go anywhere fast. So then you get into the sort of names that we have mentioned. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders is already 80 years old. Uh, AOC is difficult to elect uh, nationally. Yes. Um, Gavin Newsom has flaws. There's no inspiring figure the way, I mean, the most obvious example is Barack Obama back in 2008 when he first ran, was this uh, very charismatic, very exciting figure. There isn't anybody even approaching that uh, status, with the possible exception of Michelle Obama, who has no, who has no interest in running at all. So that's uh, yeah. That's and that. If she did run, she'd probably be a shoe in, wouldn't she? Which, mm. if anyone doesn't understand racing parlance, mm. she would be a hot favourite. For the Democratic nomination, yes. she absolutely would be. I, I find it difficult to see. If, if Biden didn't run, and, and in some fantasy world she did, it'd be very difficult to see anybody beating her. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now, meanwhile, the January 6th committee continues to sit, Niall, holding hearings still about what happened during the insurrection and in particular in its recent hearings about the role Donald Trump and those around him in the White House may have played. Last week, we had testimony from a White House aide, Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff, 
And during last week's testimony, Pat Cipollone was mentioned a lot. He was, he is a lawyer. He was uh, Trump's White House counsel. And he was the one warning that they were committing crimes if they did certain things, which in fact they did. He has now agreed to give testimony, having resisted before. That's right. He has agreed to give testimony, but behind closed doors. And as I understand it, not on video. The important thing, well, there are many important things about Pat Cipollone. He was White House counsel in the final days of the Trump administration and appears by all accounts, including Cassidy Hutchinson's, to have been one of the more sensible people still left at that point. So, for example, he warned that if uh, Trump led a crowd to the Capitol that uh, Trump and the White House generally would face all sorts of criminal charges. He also, by Cassidy Hutchinson's account, pleaded with Mark Meadows, then the White House Chief of Staff, that the, the people in the White House had to do more to quell the violence when it first erupted on January the 6th. His decision to give testimony uh, under oath at all is very important. And the reports that we have at present are that the testimony will be transcribed. So I guess, or I surmise, that Cipollone is reluctant to get into the situation where clips of his, uh, video clips of his deposition could be used, as they have been in the case of other witnesses. But Nonetheless, his decision to testify at all is a very, very significant one, goes to the heart of a lot of the issues we've been talking about. Yes, and Cassidy Hutchinson, 24-year-old young woman, showed enormous fortitude and courage in agreeing to give live testimony last week on the road. And it was testimony that was extremely damaging to Trump and to many people around him it now emerges that there is another young woman, Sarah Matthews, mm. who was a deputy press secretary in the Trump White House at that key moment. She resigned shortly after the January 6th insurrection. She has tweeted, anyone downplaying Cassidy Hutchinson's role or her access to the West Wing either doesn't understand how the Trump White House worked or It's attempting to discredit her because they're scared of how damning this testimony is. And she has been subpoenaed by the committee as well. Now, for a long time, Niall, this committee appeared to be sort of walking through glue. But lately, they've been having some results. They have. There's no question about that. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was very dramatic. The very first public hearing that the committee had last month drew an audience of around 20 million people and was also uh, very dramatic. They have been, I think, going about the task of building a case against Donald Trump and his allies in a fairly effective way over the course of these public hearings. They had been working for approximately a year before conducting any public hearings, and there were all sorts of questions about what they were doing and whether it could be branded as a purely partisan exercise and so on and so forth. But these public hearings have marked a new phase. Whether they uh, really move public opinion overall, I think, is questionable, because I think a lot of people on the night of January the 6th or the morning of January the 7th knew what they thought about those events and knew what they thought in terms of Trump's culpability or otherwise, uh, for them. But it has 
certainly uh, been a dramatic series of hearings. And it may have, I think, to some degree, not significantly, but to some degree, weakened Trump within some quarters of the Republican Party, just in terms of if he runs again, do we really want a nominee yes. that will inevitably bring all these questions with him and, and will inevitably bring the debate over January the 6th to the fore of his campaign. Yes, indeed. And also will bring into question the legitimacy of any election he doesn't win. I mean, this is the, the This is the thing that is, I suppose, most worrying to Democrats in the United States at the moment, Niall. His relative success in persuading up to 70% of Republican voters that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States. Mm. I mean, it's, it is actually mind-boggling it is. when it's viewed from Europe. Mm. And it's so damaging mm -hmm. to the country because if 70% of Republicans, mm. that's an awful lot of millions of people, mm -hmm. if they decide the president isn't the legitimate leader of the country and lawmaker, well, where are we? Right. Where are we indeed? I mean, it's a fundamental tenet of democracy to accept the outcome of elections. Uh, obviously, Donald Trump, since leaving the presidency, has continued to propagate these fictions. And of course, it's not simply his supporters taking him at his word, although that's a major part of it. It's also the fact that by virtue of him doing that, there are all sorts of people in right-wing media who then Ape yes. that behavior. There's a very good uh, New York Times report a few days ago about talk radio here, which sometimes, you know, because people are so focused on things like social media, talk radio is still a very powerful force, particularly in the American heartlands. And it's overwhelmingly very conservative. And the New York Times was sketching out the number of high-profile presenters within that world who are pushing these claims of yes, election I mean, fraud. The late Rush Limbaugh mm. had an audience of 30 million. Yeah, extraordinary. He was the most successful broadcaster of that type by uh, in, in audience yes. numbers and spoke to a, a massive number of people. And there are now... There, there's no one who has been... Uh, quite a, a unifying or dominant figure in right-wing uh, talk radio in the way Limbaugh was, but there are still a lot of people who get a lot of listeners. Just a final point now, a story that broke this week about Comey, the former mm. FBI director and another ally of his being hit by tax audits. Mm. This is very, very serious or could be, I mean, it brings in the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service in the United States is, you know, has a, an unimpeachable record as far as I know for independence and doing, not doing this kind of, but the implication of what I read was that Comey had offended the president, Trump, and many others, probably Hillary Clinton as well, mm. and got a tax audit. Can you tell us the full story there? I can, certainly, and we'll have to credit the New York Times again, because this was a story that no one had any inkling of until the Times um, scooped on it. And so James Comey, who was fired, of course, as FBI director by Donald Trump, had his taxes audited 
while a Trump appointee was still running the IRS. So wow. too did the man who replaced um, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, who also duly incurred uh, Trump's ire. To uh, put this in context, Eamon, briefly, the Times crunched the numbers on this on for the year that Comey was audited and for the year that Andrew McCabe was audited. Your chances as a random US taxpayer of being audited in the year Comey was audited were 1 in 30,600. Right. Your odds in the year that McCabe was audited was 1 in roughly 20,000. And yet both the yes. fired FBI director and his replacement, their numbers both came up. Uh, that is a very, very strange coincidence. And it's another example of how Trump corrupted the United States. And I mean I don't use the word corrupt idly. Bill Barr, the Attorney General, who eventually, at the very last moment, he bailed. But he'd done an awful lot of things mm -hmm. for Donald Trump that were improper mm. before he did bail and tell the truth. Right. I mean, the, 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 the broad argument here is that Trump uses or used government to do his bidding, to reward yes. his friends and to punish his enemies. Now, in relation to the Comey-McCabe tax matter, we, you know, we should say we don't know for sure that there was dodgy stuff going on there, but we can, as a, as a matter of supposition, it seems extraordinarily suspicious. And if there was something dodgy going on there, it is of a piece with this uh, tendency of the former president residents to view the apparatus of government as something that can be weaponized to, to damage people who are his enemies and, as I say, to reward his yeah. friends. And just finally, Niall, if you add to that a Supreme Court that is activist mm. uh, and radical and the changes to the law that have been made in some states to make it more difficult to vote particularly for people who are less well-off. This idea that's out there that democracy in the United States is an experiment that may actually be failing is not far-fetched at all, is it? No, it's not. There are a lot of academic experts who have made that point, who have looked at how democracies come to be hollowed out over time or yes. to lose their legitimacy to fall into a kind of soft autocracy and i think yes. that's the real that's the real danger here particularly of course if donald trump were to be uh, re-elected and uh, you know who knows maybe aoc will arrive to uh, at, at the last moment <laughs> and have more national appeal than we think but yeah. overall it seems a rather bleak picture okay niall thank you very much indeed for joining us today that's niall stanich associate editor of the hill newspaper and white house columnist for that newspaper. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.